what I live for. Hebrews 11 tonight, we are in that faith chapter looking at the, the hall of fame of faith. And if your name got mentioned here, it's because you exercised great faith and God took note of it. And he wanted the people of God to know about it hundreds and thousands of years later. Hebrews 11, I'm going to read to you verses 5 and 6. And then we're going to just jump in and talk about Enoch tonight. Not many verses in the Bible about him, but a very significant character that we are going to see again. So, Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for Hebrews. We thank you that a, a new year is approaching. Although we don't put our hope in a calendar, we put our hope in you, Lord God. And so as we study the word of God and we look at the hall of fame of faith, I pray that you would reveal to us the attributes and the actions of these people that lived in front of you in a way that caught your attention and caused you to celebrate their faith and to make their faith a reminder to all of us that we need to develop our faith. So thanks for the word tonight, Lord God. Holy Spirit, open it up to us, drive it deep into our hearts, and allow us to walk it out in our daily living. And the church said, amen. Hebrews 11, excuse me, 5 through 6. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up. For before he was taken up, he was attested to have been pleasing to God. And that's all Hebrew says about Enoch. The next verse here, by the grace of God, God willing, we're going to get to next week, but it's, a, it's kind of the undergirding of Enoch's one verse. It says, and without faith, it's impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be one who rewards those who seek him. So very powerful verses, and only one on Enoch, but we're taking the time to go and talk about and learn about each one of these people that are mentioned here in Hebrews 11. Why? Because there's a reason they wound up on this list and why they're in the Hall of Fame of Faith. And we should know what it is because God put it in there so we could learn something from them, amen? Everything in Scripture is here for us. Everything from the Old Testament is here for us to teach us types and shadows, warnings, lessons, something for us to learn. So we've been taking a closer look at everyone who's in the Hall of Fame of Faith. And this time we're going to talk about Enoch. Now, everyone mentioned here is here, not because they, you know, were God's favorite or they, you know, they lived the longest. No, it's, they're here because of their faith. And God noticed something about their faith that pleased him. Now, faith attracts God's attention. Remember that. It releases his favor on our lives. Don't you want more faith? Don't you want to attract the attention of your heavenly father? Not that he's not intimately aware of all of us. He knows the numbers of hair on our head. You know, as we get older, that gets easier for him. So, you know, uh, but God, you know, we can do things that catch the father's attention and please him and bring pleasure to him. You know, if you have children, when your children do and say the right things with the right heart and they're just not pretending or trying to get something from you, boy, is that pleasing to you as a parent to see them just have a good heart, a right heart, to do the right things. When we do those things and we have the right heart. We attract the attention of God and it releases the favor of God in our life. Faith impresses God. All of us need more faith. 
And we should be aware of where we're producing it and where we're not producing it. There's some areas in our lives where we're moving in great faith and it's pleasing to God. There's other areas where we don't have faith and maybe there's fear in place of it. And, and in this area, I'm, I'm a mighty man of God in faith. In this area, I'm scared. So we need to know where we're producing faith and where we're not. That takes some introspection in the presence of God. It takes the heart of David that says, Lord, search me. Check me out, God. What's going right in here? What's going wrong in here? So some of that is important for us. But we need to know where we have faith and where we don't. Let's consider the second member of the Hall of Fame of Faith, and that's Enoch. Enoch is a very interesting Old Testament character. I enjoyed studying him. I'm going to show you some things about him. There's not much scripture that talks about him, but yet he's a very special person in scripture. And there are a lot of noteworthy things about him. I'm going to cover a few of them. Number one, Enoch was Adam's great, great, great grandson. So not too far removed from Adam in the early generations here. Enoch lived uh, before the flood took place, the Noadic flood. And he was Adam's great, great, great grandson. Enoch was also the great-grandfather of Noah. So, you know, two generations removed from Noah there. And we're going to see that the flood that comes in Noah's time had some bearing on the way God treated Enoch. Enoch himself lived 365 years on the earth, and he fathered many children. 365 years, a year for every day of the year. I find that kind of interesting. And especially when we see what God does with him, it's an interesting study. Enoch's son was Methuselah, and Methuselah was the longest living person in the Bible, 969 years. Who would like to live that long? Not me. I want to go see Jesus, amen? 969 years, Pastor Mike, amen? He's the world champ for living. God bless Methuselah. Methuselah eventually went to be with God. It took a long time, but he's there now. Enoch lived a holy, faith-filled life, and he was so pleasing to God that God did not allow him to taste death, but he took him right up into heaven. We're going to see there are some implications of the way God took him up. Uh, there are some implications of what it speaks to us, and there's some typology involved with it that suggests some things to us. And he's one of two people in the entire Bible that did not experience death. See, everyone born of a woman lives and then dies. You and I can expect to live and then die, amen? But God broke the rules here a little bit and didn't allow this guy to taste death. Now, you're going to see he didn't do it just randomly, but there's a, a method to it. It's not madness. It is all in God's order. The only other person to live and to be born of a woman and not taste death is Elijah, the prophet. Elijah was translated. God sent a chariot of fire to pick Elijah up, and he caught him up, and he took him into the heavens. Now, Elisha, his protege, was waiting for the moment that God caught up Elijah to catch his mantle and receive a double portion of his anointing. We have Enoch, and we have Elijah. Those are the only two in Scripture that never tasted death. Now, most Bible scholars uh, will agree and suspect and theorize that Elijah and Enoch, because they were caught up and did not taste death, and because all of us have to taste death, they are the two witnesses in Revelation 11 that will come back when the Antichrist is 
uh, ruling during the tribulation, and they are going to give the Antichrist a heck of a time. Revelation 11, 7 through 12 talks about these two witnesses. It doesn't name them, but there again, if you study Scripture and you look at the implications and you look at the evidence, it's, 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 pretty, you know, it's a pretty solid guess that these are the two. They didn't taste death. They're going to come back. And listen to what they're going to do in Revelation 11, 7 through 12. <clears throat> when they had finished their testimony, the beast comes up out of the abyss and will make war on them. Who? The two prophets. What do they do? They're going to testify about God. While the Antichrist is trying to subdue the earth and deceive the people and, and become a type of Christ himself and downplay God and put himself in the holy place, these two witnesses are going to harass and humiliate and remind everybody that God in heaven is God and not this clown who's trying to take control of the earth. So they're going to be a real thorn in the side of the, of the Antichrist and the false prophet and the beast, and they're going to testify. Now, the beast comes up out of the abyss, and he makes war on them, and he overcomes them and kills them. So there it is. They come back. God caught them up. He brings them down. Now, finally, they do taste of death, and the law of death is completed in them, and it says this, and their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. There also the Lord was crucified. The, it says those from the peoples, tribes, and languages, and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies uh, to be picked up but lay, or laid in a tomb. And it says here in verse 10, and those who live on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets who tormented the who tormented those who lived on the earth are dead. So here's a picture of what happens. God sends these two. Uh, we suspect it's Enoch and Elijah. They testify. They give the Antichrist a hard time. They upset everything. He uh, is allowed to overcome them. They taste death because they had to at some point. And then they let them lay in the street for three and a half days. And everybody celebrates and sends each other presents. And they're all excited about the fact that these two guys have finally been killed and are shut down. It says here in verse 11, and after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell over upon those who were watching them, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here, and they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched them. What a scene in Revelation chapter 11 here. Uh, we, we suspect and we theorize that these are the two witnesses uh, and, and God uses them. They do finally taste of death, but he, he breathes life into the, them again and catches them up again. So interesting stuff that happens in Revelation chapter 11. What else do we know about Enoch? Genesis 5, 24 says this about him. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. The Hebrew verb translated took is used to describe how he was removed from the earth. It's the same verb that is used where the church is snatched away. The word took here, that verb in Hebrew means to snatch away or to catch away. So there again, many Bible teachers see this as a picture or a type of the rapture. What does God say in Revelation uh, to John down there? He says, come up here. And all of a sudden, John's in the throne room. And he's before God and he's, he's worshiping. What does he say uh, to Enoch? What does he say to Elijah? Come up here. 
So you see, this is a type of the rapture. And you say, well, you know, why does God do that? Because he, typology is something that God uses things as examples in the Old Testament to show us what's to come in the New Testament. And this snatching away or this catching away is the same verb that he uses for the snatching away or catching away of the church. So what does God do? God snatched away or caught away Enoch just before he poured out the judgment of the flood and brought wrath upon mankind. Do you see this as a type of the rapture? What's God going to do? He's going to snatch away or catch away his church just like he does Enoch because why? The seven-year tribulation period is going to come and wrath is not for the people of God, so God catches us away. Come up here, and he takes the church to heaven. This is also uh, revealed in the way that God you know, dealt with Lot. When the judgment was about to come, what did he do? He, he snatched Lot up. Literally, the angels had to pull him out of Sodom and Gomorrah there before the, the, the judgment fell. So there are many typologies of the catching away of God's people before the wrath of God is poured out on the wicked. And I hope you're getting a picture of this. You might think that that's you know, deep theology, but it's really not. It's just basic Bible that we need to learn what God did and why he did these things to give us a picture of what is to come. Now, what was it about Enoch that allowed him to stand out in the sight of God among all the millions and millions of people that lived in that time before the flood? Out of all these people, God noticed Enoch. And the thing that it was about him is it, was, it wasn't that he was the best looking, he was the smartest, you know, he was the hardest worker, or he listened the best. No, it was his faith. And that's why he winds up in the Hall of Fame of Faith. And there are some things about the way he walked his faith out that we're going to take a look at here. And remember, there's only two scripture verses in the Bible that talk about Enoch. Genesis 5, 24. Listen to it. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Okay. Hebrews eleven five 5 tells us Enoch was pleasing to God. So while there's very little recorded about Enoch, he's very special. He's only one or two people that didn't taste death. Now, we know why the prophet Elijah was special, but there's not much in here about Enoch. Even though it's only two little verses and they're small, there's three solid principles in here that I want you to catch tonight. The first principle is this. God honors those who walk with him. What was special about Enoch? He walked with God. God honored him by catching him up, by allowing him to avoid the wrath, by allowing him not to taste death, by allowing his life to be used in the future in Revelation chapter 11 because Enoch walked with God and God noticed it. He, God always wanted his people to walk with him. You know, when you walk with somebody, there's something about walking together with a person. You talk and you fellowship and you open up. If you can walk with somebody and ignore them and not you know, say anything to them, you're a very special person. You need counseling. But, you know, if you, I take a walk with my wife. You know, we hold hands and skip, and we walk down the street, and neighbors call the police. But, you know, you talk to each other. I take a walk in the woods with Pastor Mike. Uh, you know, we talk. Walking and talking, walking and fellowshipping, walking and creating intimacy with each other. God never wanted his people to be far away from him. He never wanted a... Uh, an arm's length relationship with his people, ever. Old Testament, New Testament, nothing. He always wanted intimacy with his creation. 
Now, I say things like this all the time and talk about God wanting intimacy, but if we would just stop and think about how incredible that is, that the God of heaven and earth, who created everything that's seen and unseen, wants to walk and talk with us. What did he do with Adam and Eve? He walked with them in the garden, and they fellowshiped, and they built intimacy. And so God never wanted to be estranged from his people. He always wanted to walk with them. He always wanted to be intimate with them. He wanted to have a relationship with them. Let me say a few things here. An arm's length approach to God does not produce intimacy. If we're like this, God, I don't want you to get too close. You know, God, I'm shabby. I'm sinful. I got a lot of issues. I don't want to get real with you. I don't want you to look in certain places of my heart. Come on. God, you know, let, let, let's, meet, let's meet here but not here, or don't, don't look in this spot. See, it's that arm's length approach to God that's guaranteed never to produce intimacy. Mark 7, 6, uh, in, in Mark 7, 6, Jesus quotes Isaiah 29, 13. Many times when Jesus spoke, he was quoting Old Testament scripture. In Mark 7, he quotes Isaiah 29, 13, and he says this, well has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. There again, talking to the religious leaders of the day. Well has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What does that mean? It means they had an arm's length relationship with God. And what did Jesus say about it? It makes you a hypocrite. Why? Because you say you're spiritual and you say you know your father in heaven, but really you're estranged from him and you only honor him with your lips, but you don't allow your heart to get close to him. See, God never wanted an arm's length relationship. Why? Because it never builds intimacy. It actually builds hypocrisy. And so you and I have to put our arms open wide and say, Father, I want to be known and I want to know you and allow the Holy Spirit to create that intimacy that Jesus paid for for us on the cross. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. An arm's length relationship doesn't produce intimacy. Neither does it produce spiritual power. For you and I to have spiritual power, for us to use our anointing, for us to be light in the darkness, we need to be connected to the Father in an intimate way so that the power of God could flow through us. Come on, Wednesday night. Anybody want the power of God to flow through them? Oh, the thunderous applause. I pray you get no power. Be powerless. If you want to be sick, you can stay sick. If you want to have faith, you can be healed. If you want the power of God, you can have the power of God. If you don't want to walk in his power, you don't have to walk in resurrection power. It's all a choice. God's a perfect gentleman. The Holy Spirit's a perfect gentleman. He doesn't force it on anybody, only the willing. So an arm's length approach to God will not produce spiritual power in our lives. Listen to Daniel 11.32. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. Talking about the Roman conquerors as well as the Antichrist. What would they do? They would flatter those who were Jews who, regard, who didn't regard the covenant, who no longer observed their relationship with God. He would flatter them and overcome them. And he says this, but the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. You see, it's not religious people. It's not people with the right pedigree. It's not people with the right nationality. It has nothing to do with intelligence, intellect, or skin color. It has everything to do with the fact 
that we know God and we have an intimate relationship with him. When we do what? The people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Oh, I don't want to be weak. I want to be strong in the Lord. I don't want to do nothing for God. I want to, I want to fulfill the call of God on my life. I want to do exploits for the kingdom of God. That only comes by intimacy. So God honors those who walk with him. Number two, God honors those who are faithful to him. You know, we can walk with God and we can walk away from God. We can, you know, get close to God and then we can have seasons where we go back into the things that we were delivered from. Anybody notice patterns in life? So there's, walking with God is important. It's the first step. But there's also a, a level of faithfulness and it's, you know, we, all of us blow it. All of us go astray. None of us are perfect. But there is a level of faithfulness we can maintain that pleases the Lord. You see, and Enoch walked with God, and it says, look, Enoch walked faithfully with God. So not only did he walk with him, but he walked faithfully. And that impressed God. Enoch was declared to be faithful to God by God. I want you to hear that. Did you catch what I just said? Enoch was declared to be faithful uh, to God by God. What am I saying here? I'm saying it's God that determines whether we're faithful or not. You know, it's not, oh, you know, people can say all kinds of nice things about people. Oh, and they were this and they were that and they always did this. And, but in the end, it's God who judges. <laughs> it's in the, in the end, it's God who determines if, if we were faithful or not. You know, some congregations might look at a pastor and go, oh, you know, he, you know, he really fizzled out or he never broke through or the church never, under their leadership, never did X, Y, or Z. It doesn't matter what people say. When we stand before God, he will determine whether or not we have been faithful. So think about that. Why live to please people? Why bend over backwards to please people? Why go through all these hoops to please people? When the final analysis... It's God who judges. If, if, if nobody likes us and everybody says we are a flop and a failure, but God looks us square in the eye on that day and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in today. Woo! Man, all those other voices fade out real quick, don't they? I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. What determines whether we're faithful or not is God himself. And it's easy to forget that sometimes. Listen to what Jesus says to the church at Smyrna in Revelation 2.10. Smyrna was the suffering church. It was the church that was persecuted by Rome. They were fed to the lions. They were used as human torches in the Colosseums. They were sawed in half and tortured for their faith. This church knew martyrdom like no church in, its hist in history. And Jesus says this in Revelation 2.10 to the church at Smyrna. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Listen, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. Wow, what a good work. What a good word for the church today that doesn't want to suffer, that doesn't want to be, I mean, forget about martyrdom, forget about imprisonment. That's not really here yet. I believe it's coming, but it's not here yet. Some of us don't even want to be embarrassed for Christ. We don't even want to be the odd man out of the group at the office for Christ. We don't, we don't even want to be the religious weirdos in the neighborhood. So we're silent. 
I think about our, our play that we used to have that uh, when, when the devil did that part where he talked about Judas repaid him. He, he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, but you betray him for much less. Wow, every time Sammy used to play that part, every time he said that, I would think, is he pointing at me? You see, our faithfulness to God is important, and it might cost us suffering. It might cost us, you know, being rejected, ostracized, mocked. It might even cost us death. Be faithful unto death. Jesus didn't say, I'm sending a team to rescue you. Don't worry, hang in there. We got a team of lawyers coming. They're going to get you out. Come on, Wednesday night. No, he said, be faithful unto death. You're going to suffer. Oh, Jesus, is there a plan B? In fact, Jesus understands that because he said to the Father, if this cup can pass for me. What was he saying? Is there a plan B? Nevertheless, your will be done. So we have to follow his example and embrace whatever suffering that we are called to endure. What an honor it is to suffer for the gospel, to suffer for Jesus. Being faithful to him means everything. Now, there's casual, convenient faithfulness, and there's faithfulness unto death. Can we just be honest? If we're not willing to embrace the casual, convenient faithfulness of just maintaining our witness in a hostile environment, then faithfulness unto death is probably a little bit out of our wheelhouse. You say, well, why do you say that? Because Peter thought he had it, and he would be faithful unto death, but he didn't. And before the cock crowed three times, what did he do? I mean, before the cock crowed three times, he denied he even knew Jesus. You see, Peter thought he had it. Oh, I'll be faithful. I'll, I'll go with you. It doesn't matter. I'll be with you until the end, Jesus. I'm willing to give up my life. And Jesus knew that he wasn't ready. There's casual, convenient faithfulness, and there's faithfulness unto death. What made all the difference in Peter's life was the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter was carnal, and he was fleshly, and he was emotional. But in Acts 2-4, when Peter got the Holy Spirit and was filled with the Holy Ghost, and his anointing was activated, he was never bashful. He was never shy again. He stood up for Christ, and eventually he was crucified upside down as church history tells us because he told his executors i'm not worthy to be crucified like jesus what made the difference in peter's life about faithfulness was his infilling with the holy spirit acts 2 4 talks about the, them in the upper room and you know the story about the holy spirit coming down like cloven tongues of fire and they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues galatians 5 22 says that by the fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and listen, faithfulness. Hey, church, sometimes we forget that faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. So how do I, well, I want to be faithful to Jesus. I don't want to deny him. I, I want to be faithful to the end. I want to be willing. How do we remain faithful to Jesus? Well, we keep his commandments to love one another, and then we stay filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can produce faithfulness as a spiritual fruit. What was it about Enoch that impressed God? Well, it was the fact that he was faithful, that he walked with God. And the third thing I want to cover with you as I close this down tonight is that God honors those 
God honors those not only who are faithful, not only those who walk with him, but God honors those who live to please him. And that's the last thing I want to cover about Enoch. Enoch, you know, he walked with God and he was faithful to God, but he also lived to please God. Let me, let me just jump up on that text again there. Hebrews 11.5 says, Enoch was pleasing to God. You know, how do, how do we get to be pleasing to God? Well, we've got to live to please God, amen? Now, Bob Dylan got it right when he said, you're going to serve somebody. Anybody remember that bad song? Don't know how a guy with a voice like that got so famous. <laughs> but he said, you're going to serve somebody. And that's true, Bob. You're right. You're going to serve somebody. The, the Bible breaks it down to you're going to serve one of two things. You're going to either serve God or money. You can only serve God or mammon. Luke 16, 13 and, and Matthew 6, 24 tell us it's impossible to serve two masters. So you're going to serve somebody, you're going to serve one of two things, and you can't serve them both. The bottom line is this. I'm either living to please God or I'm living to please myself. And if I'm leaving, living to please myself, it's not self that's my God, it's money. Because money is the thing that we use to acquire all the things to pamper ourselves, to pleasure ourselves, to, you know, thrill ourselves. Hello, it takes money. So you can either serve God or money, but you can't serve both. And the thing is, God honors those who live to please him. So we have to put the idols down and push them away and make God number one in our heart. Living to please God and God alone is the hardest thing any of us will ever do. And if you think it's easy, you don't get it. Because let me tell you something, living, now I can please God a little bit and still please myself a little bit, but I'm not completely sold out to him. And that's what most of us struggle with, the pleasures of this world, the comforts of this world, you know, that, that, that kind of pamper us and, and get us lazy, spiritually lazy, so we don't even fulfill the call of God in our lives. You know, we'll drag ourselves to church once in a while. We'll crack the Bible once in a while. But it's not a sold-out life. See, God honors those who are sold out, who live to please him. And, you know, if you think that's easy, it's not easy. And it's the hardest thing we'll ever do because here's why. It requires the death of self. If I'm going to please God and God alone, I've got to die. Why? Because I can't serve two masters. I can't please myself and please God. Come on, Wednesday night. It's almost over. Hang in there. But it requires the death of self. It requires me to carry my cross. It requires the consistent discipline of discipleship. See, to be a disciple, we've got to embrace discipline. If we embrace discipline, we'll carry our cross. If we'll carry our cross, we'll crucify self, and then it'll leave us free to live only for him. Am I there yet? Are you there yet? I'm not there yet. But every day the Holy Spirit's working on me. But it's the hardest thing to do to live for only him. And again, it's as with faithfulness. What pleases God uh, and, and what allows God to say that we're pleasing to him is in his hands. That's his decision. He's not looking for a perfect performance. Do you believe me? You don't look like you believe me. Well, here, I'll prove it to you. King David lied, he committed adultery, he slept with Bathsheba, and then he killed Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. You know the whole story. 
Yet God forgave his sin, looked past his sin, and called him a man after his own heart. Pastor Mike, what was he saying? He said, David is pleasing to me. It wasn't a perfect performance. In fact, most of us haven't done half of what David did. And here's the thing. God's not looking for a perfect performance. He's looking for a heart that yearns to please him. You see, David was a lover of God. Yeah, he messed up. Moses was another one. Moses was a murderer. You know what? Moses and David couldn't, you know, be an usher at most of our hoity-toity churches these days. Oh, those sinners, they're this and they're that and they're this and, and we're God's special holy people. God looked past all their sin. He said, no one knew me like Moses. Had a face-to-face relationship with God. He said, David's a man after my own heart. His kingdom will endure. And Christ came through his lineage. You see, God honors those who live to please him. None of us are perfect. None of us have a perfect track record. But it's a consistency of faith. And it's a heart that's pliable and repents when we sin. God honors those who please him. He honors those who walk with him. And he honors those who are faithful to him. And these are the lessons we learn from Enoch. Not much is said about him, but we know that he walked with God. He was faithful to God, and he lived to please God. And those are things we should strive to have in our own lives so that we... Now, I'm not saying we're going to all get caught up to heaven and not taste death, but we're sure going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, if we'll apply these things to our lives. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for... This word, I thank you for Enoch and the fact that he's in the hall of fame of faith. God, help us to see the attributes and the exploits of the people of God who made it on this list so we can work these things into our own lives and submit to the working of the Holy Spirit. Help us to understand uh, the typology here from Scripture, to know that you have caught people up in generations past to avoid the wrath of, that you are about to pour out on the wicked. And Father, there there is a time where you will catch up your church in the first part of the coming of Christ. We want to live ready for that. We want to watch for your coming. We want to be on the first load out. Because we weren't made for wrath and we weren't made for the tribulation. So Father, while we watch the world come unglued and unravel and burst into flames all around us, help us to keep our eyes fixed on heaven because you're coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Help us to walk with you, to be faithful to you, and to live to please you so that we can hear you say, come up here, and forever we'll be in your presence. Thank you for that blessed hope. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, give him praise tonight.